Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping ordinary believers take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. I'm Andrew Stroud. On today's show, I sit down with Cecil Bean to talk about how he has stayed focused on Jesus for a lifetime. I've known Cecil for over 25 years. He and his wife Jeannie discipled my wife and me, and he continues to inspire and mentor me down to the present day. Cecil has been making disciples for over 50 years, and I personally don't know of anyone who has been more effective at raising up next-generation leaders for the church. He's trained men and women who are now serving as disciple-makers all over the world. He's not flashy, just focused and fruitful. I think you'll be encouraged and challenged by this conversation. I hope it will inspire you to rededicate yourself to focusing on Jesus and imitating His life. If you have thoughts or questions about today's show, we'd love to hear them. You can connect with us on Facebook in the comments under the post for this episode. Well, today I'm very excited because I'm joined by my mentor, Cecil Bean. Cecil and I have known each other since 1994. When I met you, Cecil, I was 20 years old and um, 46 now. I guess that would have made you, I guess you would have been 49. Does that sound right? 26 years ago from 75. 75. Do the math. <laughs> yeah. So um, we've known each other for quite some time. And one topic that we're going to really key on with this conversation is how do you stay focused on Jesus for a lifetime? Because it's one thing to get started well, but to actually continue to walk with Christ and stay focused on Him is something that it, it doesn't seem like very many people, very many believers are able to... Um, to figure out how to do so Cecil you're someone that I think has done that um, very well and um, in fact one of the ways that I would say you one of the, the characteristics that I would say that stands out the, the most to me about you is your emphasis on Jesus and you would think that um, any Christian would have an emphasis on Jesus but there's so many other things so many other Christian things that can really begin to sneak in there and, and become the thing that we're most thinking about, the thing that we're most talking about besides Jesus. So, so we'll, uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, glad to have you in San Diego and glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Sandra. So why don't we start right there? Um, just in your own life, how, how has how has it been possible for you or what has helped you stay focused on Jesus? Where did you start and how did that grow over time? Well, my, uh, my beginning starts where everybody else's beginning begins at zero. And uh, if you start going to church, you're going to begin to be introduced to Jesus, uh, no doubt. But uh, how you see Jesus uh, will be uh, varied when I first uh, started life as a non-Christian, uh, my parents never really talked with me about uh, God. And I, I literally mean that not one time did my parents ever talk with me. I didn't go to church except for funerals and weddings. And so I was a pretty much an empty slate. Mm. The only thing that I had that was functioning was my conscience. And my conscience told me that you know, if I do what's good... Uh, Things will go better for me if I do what's bad, uh, the reverse. And so I lived this way uh, until I uh, met my first evangelist. I got a job at in my junior year of high school. And this 
manager uh, began to evangelize me. And although I was very interested, but didn't feel like I had the wherewithal in order to become a Christian, but I stayed in contact with him for the next year as I finished my senior year. When I finished college, or I'm sorry, high school, I had no intention for college. So I looked for a job, and that was the only job I could find, making a minimum wage. And again, this evangelist uh, began to evangelize me. Well, the way he succeeded was uh, uh, he had the foundation. Pascal said that within every man there's a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And God was, uh, was knowledgeable to me, but it was only through uh, my conscience. I, I like it what uh, they, they said to uh, the deaf, diamond, blind, and dumb woman, Helen Keller, that uh, once they made contact with her, they asked her if, if uh, she knew who God was. She said yes, but she didn't know what his name was. Hmm. And that's kind of where I was. I was uh, I knew about God, but, but no clarity. Well, once I started with the Army Surplus Tour with uh, Bob Gracie, God got me where he wanted me. I have another quote that we turn to God when our foundations are shaking, only to find out that it's God who's doing the shaking. Hmm. So when God got my attention, I became ready. And so uh, I uh, found the doorway to Christianity, which was Christ. And so now that I uh, began to live the Christian life, uh, I joined the closest church to my home. is about a mile away. It was a pretty unhealthy church. It had part-time pastors, so we got a lot of warmed-up sermons. Uh, in fact, one of the pastors was fired because he's hitting on the secretary. Uh, another pastor was uh, a military guy. He was a chaplain. was dry as bo- dead bones. And so uh, I did, the, the church didn't program me because I just didn't think it had the answers. And so I, as a young believer, ran across a book by Charles Shelton that said, uh, that was called In His Steps. And I was fascinated with this book because there was a group of young people who became disillusioned with their church, too. And they came up with a slogan, WWJD, uh, what would Jesus do in major occasions? And I thought, that's exactly what I want to do. So that was my next enlightenment about Christ, that I would start asking myself that question. Uh, what would Jesus do in certain circumstances? And that was a godsend for me. That that began to point me toward the right tree in order to climb up. Now, wait, wait, you, you, the, the WWJD, that, that goes back that far? Uh Yeah. It huh. does. I read that book three times. It was so I was so fascinated. What would Jesus do? Huh. And then, uh, as I continued to operate uh, in that area, uh, I fourteen years later, when I was already NAV staff, uh, I was thirty three years old, and I got my next major epiphany in this area that uh, a friend had me listen to a series of tapes by a guy, I think his name was Leonard Evans. And in these series of tapes, what he communicated was that uh, that uh, what God was all about was to love people the way we want to be loved. And, and all my reading, it just dovetailed for me. Of course, love God via people. And Jesus was the one that would show us how to do that. And so now I shifted from WWJD to W 
DJD. What did Jesus do? And now I was able to climb that. Once I found the tree, I began to climb it. And my focus began to be primarily on Jesus. Uh, where other people are generalized Jesus, I specified Jesus. What do you mean by that? Most people generalize. WWJD. They just sort of, uh, the problem with WWJD is you, you're, you're making decisions based on what you think Jesus would do rather than what hmm. Jesus did. And so that can really take you all over the map based on how you feel. Uh, and, and but if you do W, uh, DJD, now you have to narrow. Now what, so you have to begin to become a student of Jesus to figure out what he did do. So I, I began to realize that, that, uh, your conscience is not Christianity, although it contains, uh, much of Christianity. Uh, Romans 1, you know, says that the conscience has made us aware of God. Romans 2, uh, 12 through 16 says that, the, that what was written in the conscience was later recorded in the Old Testament. So, uh, I, I, I began to, to make headway on this, this tree I was climbing. The church isn't Christianity, but the church is a proponent of Christianity. Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament is not Christianity. But it contains Christianity. Christianity is the Gospels. And, and, and all the rest of the Bible dovetail into this. Uh, I get a lot of criticism because they, by saying this, they say, so you don't value the old and the new. It's inspired by God. Of course I do. I read it every morning, both the old and the new. But I never, if I ha only have one choice, it'll be a Gospel. Because He is my, uh, my uh, uh, my mentor. I like what uh, Matthew twenty three eight eight through ten says. You only have one teacher, and that's the Christ. You only have one Lord, and that's the Christ. Uh, it's uh, it, it. You can hit the the target without hitting the bullseye, but you can't miss the target if you hit the bullseye. See, did I I said that wrong? <laughs> you, you you can aim at the target and miss the bullseye. But if you aim at the bullseye, you will not miss the target. It's uh, one little, one other little example is when I went through uh, college, I wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. And so I was scratching my way through. Uh, I wouldn't, in fact, when I went to enroll in college, they told me I couldn't come unless I took remedial classes. That tells you a lot about me. And so once I took the remedial classes, then I got to start college. And then, uh, uh, I, I was, uh, working my way through college, so my time was limited. I was depressed because my Christian life was beginning to crack. Uh, and that, that, that caused me not to want to uh, double down and make good grades. And so, uh, one of the things I learned is I, if I listen to the professor, I can figure out what the book's all about. And so rather than read some of these big fat books, what I would do is I would listen carefully, take notes, and now I had the jugular of, of the book. I think if we can view Christ that way, if we can understand the Bible, if we can understand Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'll just give you three verses and then I'll close this sec session. Uh, Jesus said in John, uh, or John said in John one eighteen that when Jesus came, he came to reveal to us who God was. If you try to figure out who God is by reading the Old Testament, you've got a job to do.
because after 2,000 years of reading the Old Testament and God became a man, they had no clue that that was God when Jesus was born. Uh, and in uh, John eight nineteen, Jesus was telling the, the people that if you knew me, you would know who the Father is. So if you want to know who the Father is, you don't go after the Father, you go after the Son, and he will give you clarity. And even after spending three years with his disciples, you think of anything, they would figure this out. But in John 14, 7, uh, Philip asked him, show us the Father and it'll be satisfied. And you can see Jesus just shake his head and 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 uh, close his eyes. Have I been with you all this time? And you still don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So these are the things that have caused me to become uh, almost over-focused, as some might call, on who Christ is. Because if I understand Christ, I understand who God is and what he's all about. Yeah, I would say one of the ways I've described it, which may not be exactly right, but you have a radical focus on Jesus, which I think is a, I think of that as a compliment. Um, but it's radical because it's, it's out of step with the world for sure. But I would say even most Christians don't have that kind of a focus on Jesus that I've seen in your life over the past uh, two decades. Plus, I think, um, I think of this, this idea that we don't start with Jesus and then move on to the deeper things of faith and Christianity. And most of us would, would agree with that, but that's sort of subconsciously, that's what we're living is that, well, yeah, I, I know Jesus and, and now I'm moving on to the deeper things. Um, and Jesus can oftentimes be shuffled into a, a secondary uh, place in our, our thinking and our, the way that we're trying to go about living life. Um, but in Colossians, he tells us that in Christ are hidden all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that they're all there in Jesus himself. So what is it that you were able to do? I know you, you, you mentioned a few things there that starting with your conscience and then maybe that you didn't get programmed by the church. If you could spend a little bit more ta time talking about that, because I, I do think that sometimes people do come up in a certain framework if they come up in, in the church, and that can actually be a detriment to them discovering this this focus on Jesus. In uh, I think it's Matthew eleven, uh, Jesus talks about the uh, tradition of the elders, and what that basically was is that the elders had interpreted what they think God meant and put it in uh, six hundred and sixty some odd uh, uh, bullets. And Jesus said, "If you follow those bullets." which is what other men think God, he says, your religion is in vain, of no value. And so I think God doesn't want us to learn who he is through other people. He wants us to figure it out personally. And it's complicated. It's, uh, it's disoriented in a lot of ways. But in the process of figuring this out, there's a struggle. And that struggle is what God's after. He's after relationship. And uh, you don't get struggle by being hand-fed. You get struggle by trying to figure out what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood, uh, to deny yourself. This is what he's after, his relationship. So I think that, uh, I think if the church uh, has already got what they think 
is important. If you go to a Baptist church and say, should I speak in tongues? They would say, uh, no, you should not. If you go to assembly, you're going to get an often opposite message. If you go to assembly and say, should I believe in once saved, always saved? They would say, no way. You go to the Baptist, they would say, of course. So the church has doctrine already set out and they program you with that doctrine. They don't want you, the Methodists bringing in what the Baptists believe. They want you to believe what the Methodists believe. And so I think that's, that causes you to not go beyond boundaries, borders. And I, I think that truncates uh, what we know of God by what other people have viewed him. So I think God is, is wants everybody to climb this tree and figure out who this God is, whose name is Jesus. So, so how do we do that? Because how do we climb that tree? Um, what are some of the starting points? Because I can already anticipate that people will object and say, well, if someone is starting out from zero, they need that instruction. You know, a baby needs a mother, it needs a father, it needs some sort of care. You, you can't just expect this brand new believer to figure things out um, on, on his or her own. And then also, they're going to get into trouble. They're going to get into heresies. That that'll be a big concern. So, how do you how do you answer that? Uh, there, there's a pivotal verse that that every that is the key to this question, and it's in Luke sixteen sixteen. In Luke sixteen sixteen, Jesus said, "the The law, the prophets, were given as your guides until Christ came." So I think the law and the prophets uh, are as uh, valid today as they ever have been. Jesus said uh, uh, in th- that in Matthew 5 was that not a daughter tittle w- will be uh, left out of their teachings. In, Mal- in Malachi 3, uh, uh, no, Malachi 4, Jesus said, uh, or, or, uh, uh, Malachi said, do not forget uh, uh, the law that God gave Moses on Mount Horeb. Uh, it's the next to the last three verses. So the, I think the Old Testament, when Jesus commissioned his people, it was what they were taken out to teach people. So the, there's n- nothing wrong about the law and the prophets. But when Jesus came, he clarified the law and the prophets. He brought them up to their current position. So it isn't that they're wrong, but he tweaked them. You don't have to offer animals anymore. Christ was that animal. Uh, you're not just supposed to uh, not uh, uh, kill. You're not supposed to hate either. So he, he clarifies the law and the prophets. But I think we start with the law and the prophets, and I think we move on to Jesus. So that's why I continue to read the old and the new every morning, so that I can gain uh, snippets of uh, what fits into what Jesus was saying. but So I think that, that the immaturity is built on the law and the prophets. The maturity is built on what Christ taught. With that in mind, you, knew, you talked about how in the early stages you were guided by your conscience, that God was actually at work in your life even though you didn't know who he was. True. Um, and then you, you found the gateway to Christianity, which is, which is Jesus himself. But I, I think a lot of times we think about Jesus as, as the door, as the gate, which Jesus himself described himself as, as being the gate that, that leads to life. But he also described himself as the, as the way, as the path. And so um, it seems to me that, that many times believers will see Jesus as the starting point, but not necessarily the blueprint. 
um, for how they're actually going to try to, to pattern their life. Um, so how is it that you've been able to, to do that over the years that with this radical focus on Jesus, that you're not just trying to understand him, you're trying to imitate him. And, uh, how do you, how do you see that playing into making disciples? Well, I do think WWJD versus WDJD is a lot of the answer right in there, uh, how you view that. There's a verse that hits me in Second Chronicles 16.9. It says, The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And what he's looking for are people whose hearts are completely his. I think God is trolling. He's trolling for people who view uh, life the way he does. And when he finds one of these people, like in Job 1 and 2, he is ecstatic over them. Calls Satan to, uh, to the presence and said, have you ever seen anybody like this guy Job? And so I think he's looking for people like us who are willing to, uh, have his values. So I think that, uh, once he finds one, then he begins to build around us. Uh, I don't think it's, I think discipleship happens after, uh, God picks us. There's a verse in Matthew eleven twenty seven. It's really important to me. 1127 says, No one knows the Father but the Son, and no one knows the Son but the Father, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. So this thing is a, uh, is a revelation issue. When God finds one of these people who have the same heartbeat as him, then he begins to reveal himself to them. So, uh, uh, I, I think that, that, uh, the answer is not, uh, you know, did I, uh, find some secret formula that someone else didn't find? I think that when I first became a Christian and I asked Christ to come in my life, I, I, and this is, this is the truth. I honestly said, and I'm willing to obey you. I think many times in the church, uh, obedience is, is, uh, watered down with grace. I think grace is not forgiving disobedience. Grace is giving another chance. I think grace is out of context. It's not a get out of jail free. Uh, we, uh, Numbers 3223 says, be sure your sins will find you out. So grace merely says, dust yourself off. Lick your wounds and let me give you another chance. I think we use grace to undermine obedience. And I think we've got race wrongly interpreted. So I, I, I think that once God finds one of these people who's not going to, uh, violate obedience by, by whatever, then I think he begins to, lo- he, he is trolling for us more than we're trolling for him. And then he begins to focus and begin to reveal to us. Jesus said this morning in in my gospel reading, he that has eyes are able to see and he that has ears. No eyes, no ears. You can't figure this thing out. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. That there, there, do seem, there does seem to be two ways to think about this. One is, well, what is, what is the, um, what are the activities that I need to do to, to, to discover the path? And the other is, how do I become the kind of person that God will reveal the path to? And uh, I, I know just from my own s- self that my my thinking can often fall into that first category that, hey, th- there's 
there are some steps. If, if you follow these five steps, then you'll have a closer relationship with God and you'll understand some of these uh, deeper principles. But, um, you know, what I just heard you say and what we, what we had talked about yesterday was, no, actually it's, are you the kind of person that God will reveal himself to you so that you can find, so that you can find that path? And um, I think you already started to talk about it a little bit there, but what is it that you think God saw in your life in your early 20s? Because you, you talked about it was 33 before you got that second epiphany of the way you love God is by loving people. Um, you know, what, what is it that was happening in your life that was shaping you in the 20s that made you the kind of person that God would give that, that insight to? I think someone who has the realization that the conscience was given to to obey and uh and so now you've got people that uh, i was in the gospel this morning and and uh these people who said i just got married so i can't come i just bought a team of oxen i can't come and then a third one and so i think that people who choose not to do what the invitation has been given uh are marked off so I think if uh, that's why I think obedience is the foundation of of the Bible. If you, the law of Moses is very clear, if you obey God, He will bless you. If you disobey God, He will do the reverse. And so I think once He finds someone who's willing to obey, uh, I, I think in my life, I think I had a willingness to obey. And uh, one of the questions that you may ask me later that I'll dip into now is that uh, people ask me, uh, what has caused me to be uh, to focus on obedience? And it's that's an easy answer for me. It's uh, uh, self-benefit that uh, I believe that uh, that if I obey, God will bless me. I believe that my obedience didn't earn my salvation. That, that is that's. Uh, we beat that dead horse all the time. Mm. It does not earn our salvation, but it does uh, affect our relationship with God. And so uh, I think I I wanted to be benefit. Mm. And so I had a focus on obedience because I thought it was self-benefiting. Uh, I, I think that's how I started when I was immature. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I didn't want to get smacked and I wanted to get treated. As I became mature, I began to identify with my mentor, my heavenly father, that uh, what he was doing was the was uh, to try to make the earth healthy, and he was going to do it by uh, finding healthy people, programming them the way he thought, and then sending them out to dispense it. Uh, and so, as I became mature, I became more in sync with his thinking. When I was immature, I didn't want to get sm smacked, and I wanted to get treated. So I think there uh, we sometimes belittle the first portion, but I think you have to go through immaturity in order to get to maturity. You know, we we all know that um, that faith is is key. That without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we want to be people of faith. We want to be people who live out lives of faith. Sometimes we can really, I think, struggle with, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith? One way that I've come to think about this is that if you're a person of faith, then first, you, you believe that God exists. Um, second, 
you take God serious. So you, it's not just believing that God is out there, but but you take him serious and you give him the time and attention to try to learn who he really is rather than just believing that he's out there and, and trying to impose our ideas of who God is. We, we talked about this yesterday too. You have the attitude that you want to discover who God is. And then uh, third, you have to believe that the way you live matters. So I, I think if you have those three things, if, if you believe God exists, you take him serious and you live as if the way your, your choices and your decisions that you're making matter, they matter to God and they matter for, for your own future, you are a person of faith. But if you take away uh, any of those, um, you know, I, I would question whether or not you really have faith. You have a belief in God. Um, you know, Jesus was respected by many people when he was walking on the earth. Um, but very few people reoriented their lives around him. Um, just a handful. And I, I, I really see a similarity today that there are many, many people who are respectful towards Jesus, respectful towards God, but they're going about their lives, you know, the way that they want to. I was at uh, Fort Carson uh, about two months ago, and uh, I was talking to some navigators there in Bible study. And uh, one of the questions that came in Q&A was, uh, uh, was this young soldier that says that it's so hard for him to get up early and, uh, and make time and, uh, for, to read his Bible. And he just says, uh, he, he's kind of, he just doesn't see the need. He's losing his motivation and, it's, and, uh, he can't stay encouraged. And so I asked him, what if the, your general told you that he wanted you to read a certain, uh, uh, military book and uh he wanted you to do it for for the next year and i said uh, would you do it and he just of course i would and i think that we have uh uh we have a respect toward uh people like a general uh but we don't have the same respect for god i think he fears the general but he doesn't fear god and kind of what you're talking about, how do we get people to see that uh, that God is serious when he says uh, he wants obedience? And now there's, there's boy, there's a slew of verses when you begin to read Jesus, you'll find out that he's not as forgiving as you think he might be. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about discipleship. That Jesus, and in fact, I just read it this morning. Uh, I was in the, the Luke rendition of uh, Matthew 6.30 of... Uh, of Matthew 5.13, and it says that if salt loses its flavoring, and he just finished the Beatitudes, he said his, uh, then it becomes worthless, and it's thrown out in the manure pile. It's of no value. I'm not saying he's, they're going to hell, but I'm saying that they're of no value. And then he says in, in uh, John uh, uh, 15 later on, verse 6, that if a, if a, if a branch... Uh, doesn't produce the fruit that the gardener intends, it'll be broken off. So I think that we have no fear that there's, there's huge consequences to our willingness to not do what God's told us to do. So let's talk a little bit more about that because I know that's been one of the themes that you've, you've modeled and that you've taught over the years is 
the fear of God and what does it mean to to have fear of God? You know, fear can be uh, uh, interpreted either respect or uh, being afraid of, and uh, it's both. And so uh, it's like paraclete can be a comforter or it can be exhorter. It's both. And so I, I think uh, if we just view fear as respect only, uh, which I think sometimes it's interpreted as, uh, it might give you an incomplete picture. I think also, you know, Jesus said, don't fear him who can uh, kill the body. Fear him who can kill the soul and the body. And so uh, if you begin to read Christ, back to square one here, begin to read Christ, you're going to find out that uh, Christ is not uh, this teddy bear. Uh, he, when you begin to read his, his, his threats, his commands, uh, I'm going to use a verse tonight, uh, when I'm talking to some guys in, uh, 1 John, uh, 5, 3, it says, this is the love of God that you keep his commandments. I don't, I think we think the love of God is to uh, f- have a strong feeling, whether through worship, uh, or through tears, but the love of God is obedience. And I think we view uh, worship as the love of God, and uh, and grace covers everything else. And uh, the reason we have these uh, beliefs is because we don't understand Jesus. We need to stop uh, blending uh, or avoiding Jesus' teachings because of the other 62 books of the Bible. He's only got one book repeated four times. If we can't comprehend that, then... Uh, we're retarded. We've got to be able to understand what that one book says and its benefits and consequences. One thing I've heard you say before is that um, emphasis, repetition, is is the way God lets you know that something is is really important. So, you know, if if God is described as holy, 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 um, that's because God is the holiest. You know, that, that's the idea, and so. You've talked about how repetition is built into the Bible itself in terms of the scriptures, what the the scriptures focus on repeatedly. And, uh, you know, Jesus is focused on, you know, he gets four books that give us four different renditions of his life. And that's, that is God's way of letting us know, hey, this is the person. These are the teachings. This is the life that you need to be most interested in and most eager to imitate and uh, like you said, the other books of the Bible are going to fill in some gaps, but but Jesus is that bullseye that uh, we need to focus on. So, what are some th- some practical things that you've done over the years to to keep your focus on the Gospels? Well, I, I'm uh, there's a lot that I've said that would uh, kind of uh, allude to those very things. Uh, I I don't know how to say it too much more differently, but uh, I I just uh, I believe I have uh, one mentor that is my uh, my example, and so uh, uh, when when I uh, when I read Christ, uh, it's very it's very uh, it's very doable to understand what he has to say. It's hard to swallow uh, in Luke uh, twelve forty nine. Uh, Jesus said, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? And I think we would say, of course he has. 
But he says, no, I've came to bring a sword to divide a man from his son and so forth. I've come to bring fire to the earth and oh, that it was already burning. And so uh, I think the thing that keeps me clear is that I have a I have a strong fear of God. I have a strong fear of Christ. When you read when you read Revelation, uh, well, back it up. When when you read the Old Testament, uh, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets, uh, they're ugly. They're nasty. Uh, they're talking about uh, a child eat, eat, eating the uh, or a, a mother eating the afterbirth, uh, and he says, "This is what's going to happen to you," and it did. And so Jesus says the same thing, that uh, your life's going to be destroyed, and it will. Uh, or you're, or if you do the, uh, unless a seed of grain is, is not killed and fall in the ground, it'll bite alone. So I think these are the kind of threats and promises that really keep me motivated. When you read Revelation and, and you know, the blood's going to be up to the horse's bridle and third of mankind will be, will be destroyed. Uh, when you, when you read that, it's Christ who's doing this. Uh, we, we just do not see this Christ. Uh, the, we don't see him as a full picture. And I think the more we study him, the more we see his love for us is incredible. But his discipline is with us is vicious. And so I think those two elements, the love of God and the fear of God, uh, has caused me to uh, remain stable and uh, both for the, the promises and of the consequences. I think most people, I don't know, I'll be interested to get some feedback from this particular uh, podcast, but I know that a lot of people, when they hear language like what you're describing is, there's almost an instant reaction uh, against it, that no, we, we shouldn't fear God. God is love. Um, you know, God's discipline is not vicious. So um, how, how do you reconcile, I would say, popular theology, the, the popular view that's out there is is not what you're describing why do you think that is i can remember sitting in chapel north chapel at uh fort campbell and uh i was near the middle of the room uh and uh the preacher was preaching on uh first samuel uh, i think it's 12 uh 22 either first or second and it said that god will never forsake his people and he was going on with that verse and I tipped the guy in front of me. I, I touched him on the shoulder and said, now read verse 25. And verse 25 says, but if you continue to, to disobey, I'll, I'll carry you and your king away. I think we have fixated, uh, and, and separated a truth and that God, uh, uh, loves his church, but we've missed the point that that doesn't mean he won't destroy you. He won't destroy his church, but he might destroy you. And as you read through uh, the Old Testament, you'll see where God starts using language where he hates his church and that he's going to divorce his church and destroy his church and start again. And, and so I think that uh, that this misunderstanding, this incomplete understanding uh, destroys us. And the way you're going to get this clarity is to is to uh, stop trying to figure out what you think God should do, or what you wish you would do, 
or what you think he might do and start focusing on what he did and how he does it. And when you go up this other ladder, uh, only then can you get to the top of this tree. Yeah, I think, I think another one there is uh, Mark 7, 8 talks about neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. And so you also have to go to the source. You have to go to the scriptures. You know, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, um, and he will guide you into all the truth. But if you're just basing your view of God on what you're hearing from the experts, then um, I would also suggest that you're probably not going to get it. You're, you're probably going to miss a lot of what you're talking about here, Cecil. I, I, there's 66 books out there. Uh, if you try to read them from cover to cover, you're going to get one third, one sixteenth, or maybe it's one thirteenth of Jesus, and uh, you're you're he he's going to fade into the background. The sixty-two, the four will get faded, and so uh, if that happens, now you you you're going to walk with a fuzzy picture of Christ. But if you're reading Christ every day. With, uh, and if you don't want to do a chapter, do a half chapter. Do a quarter of a chapter. Make sure that you're, you're listening to him every day, uh, so that, that you won't be, so that you don't get a blurry picture of, of our author, of our commander, of our teacher, our, our mentor. Uh, so, uh, I tell people, and I get in trouble sometimes, stop reading the Bible. It's confusing you. Start reading the Gospels. And now begin to read the Bible in light of the Gospels. I've had criticism that, that, uh, by, by navigator staff that, uh, so you're telling me that the Old Testament's not important. But I go, how in the world did you extract that? I'm saying that the Old Testament is equally inspired as the New, but, the, uh, and, and which is equally inspired with the Gospels. But the Gospels is where, uh, is where the clarity's at. So you read both, and then you interpret it in light of the Gospels. Yeah, that's, that's one of the practical things that I know that you've done over the years and that you've encouraged the people that you're discipling to do is to read in the Gospels every day. So that's a practical thing that people could do. If you're not doing that, uh, my Bible is actually oriented into, it's, it's got four columns, you know, there's two columns per page. I typically end up reading one column, so I don't even read one chapter, but I try to find a natural breaking point that that is about that amount and uh each day spend time learning from jesus that that jesus is the one sent from the father to reveal uh the father to us and to reveal his purpose for us so to spend time every day looking at jesus and then secondly to to learn from jesus not just by his teachings but how did he live his life the way he went about living his life. And, you know, Jesus lived for 33 years, but we only really have insight into the three years that he was doing public ministry. Well, there's, I think, a reason for that. One is that, that that's the portion of his life that, that God wants us to imitate, to learn from. And so it's not just what he teaches, what he says, but how did he live? And then how can I begin to try to practice those same lifestyle choices um, here in 2019. But I want to shift gears a little bit. We've been talking about staying focused on Jesus and uh, the fear of God, why that's important, taking God serious, obedience. Um, 
you are the most fruitful disciple maker that I personally know. I'm sure that there are lots of other people in the world that God has used in a mighty way to, to raise up generations of disciples. Um, but from my own perspective and my own experience, there's no one that I know who has been more effective at making disciples than you. So why do you think that is? I'll put you on the spot here. Mark 117, Jesus was very clear. He says, follow me and I will show you how to, how to fish for men. I think that uh, we are trying to disciple men outside of the guidelines that Jesus set. We're trying to uh, uh, go down and lead someone to Christ and then try to bring them through immaturity. But in order to get to, to the point that Jesus found the disciples, it's going to take you uh, maybe a decade. And you just don't have that amount of time. So one of the things that when Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people, what he did was he, he contributed to the masses by going around preaching in the synagogues. Uh, that's something we need to be keep doing. But what he did was he picked up some people who were mid-level, who had maxed out, had hit the ceilings in obeying uh, the law of Moses. And, uh, and many times the church doesn't have much more for you once you become obedient. What, but, uh, so Jesus picked up these people and he began to take them to the next level. And so if you understand that not only are you supposed to be an evangelist, not only are you supposed to help young people grow, if you, uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, first you're going to become a trainer yourself. Let's say Jesus is a 10. Let's say you begin at a one, minuses is a non-Christian. Let's say a five is someone who's semi-grown. Jesus picked up fives and brought them to tens. It took him three years to do that. Many said that it, that might equate to ten years. So I think it may take you ten years to get someone to a five, another ten years to get them to a ten, so that they in turn can begin to do the same thing that had been done to them. I think many times because people doesn't do not have mentors who understand and know how to get people from five to ten, they uh they end up living godly lives with no reproduction. They can produce, but they don't reproduce as Christ intended. So I think down the road I figured some of this stuff out by reading Jesus. And there's a verse in John 4:38 that Jesus says that I telling his disciples, I've sent you to labor where other men have have done the hard work and you've built on their foundation. And Andrew, you and I know this that when I met you, uh your parents laid a good foundation, you got some mentoring in your uh your college, and when you came, you were a five. If I had to start from square zero, we could have never made it. But because someone has laid all this hard work as a five, now if I understand, if I'm a ten, if I understand how to get you to a ten, I got and and it and you stayed with us what I think seven years. Seven years. So the uh, that seven years was able to complete the course. 
So if we don't know how to, how to if if we don't know how to pick up people as fives, assuming we're tens, if we're a five, we can only help fours and below. So I think that uh, I think what has made me fruitful is I understand Christ, and not only do I want to evangelize and disciple, I want to fish for people who are fives and help them finish the course. Yeah. So I'll take a stab at at describing this and you can let me know if, if I'm hitting what you're describing there. One is um, we need in, in sharing our faith in, in sharing the message of Jesus, we need to realize that um, there's a message for everyone that we meet, but, but everyone we meet is in a different place. And so Jesus spent time talking to the crowds, going into the synagogues, having individual uh, conversations, having dinner with people that invited him. Um, all of that was part of his ministry, and he was sharing his message about the kingdom of God. But he also had a focus on these 12 disciples. And these 12 disciples, he did not, he did not take them from zero to 10. These 12 disciples came to him primed. Uh, we, we were talking before we hit record here about Jesus' first two disciples which were were two disciples that he met through John the Baptist's ministry. So these two were already looking for something. They were they heard John the Baptist and they had gone out into the wilderness and they were spending time trying to learn and grow. And John the Baptist is the one who said, "Behold the Lamb of God." And then that's where they began to spend time with Jesus. Same thing with uh, the Apostle Paul later in the New Testament. Um, of course, his key disciple that we know about is Timothy. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he tells him that from your childhood, you have known the scriptures and you learned them from your mother and your grandmother. And so when Paul met Timothy, he was not a blank slate. He wasn't at square one. Uh, Paul was able to take him and uh, take him along with him on his ministry and take him from five to ten, like you're describing. So part of what we need to be aware of is we need to be, first, we need to grow to level ten. <laughs> we need to understand the, the model of Jesus. Uh, but then we need to understand that there are people out there who are already well along the way, but they're stuck. They're, they're topped out at a five because no one else has been able to, to take them beyond that. And those are people that you focused on. Yeah. Uh, just to back up just a hair, when, when Paul, which was maxed out at a five with the law of Moses, uh, is knocked off the horse by his future mentor, Jesus. Then, uh, uh, so uh, you would think that Paul would make a beeline to the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples and say, teach me about Jesus. But Paul was careful to say he didn't do that. Paul went into the deserts of Arabia in, in Galatians 1 and spent uh, three years trying to figure out who Jesus was. Then uh, he goes to back to the disciples and compares notes. And he says that there, there was no major disagreement between what he came up with and what they had, they had figured out. I, I, again, we need this focus on the Gospels is what allows us to get our clarity. And Paul's a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So what he really means is follow Christ. So I I think that uh, we uh, besides our wrong paradigms of of what would you, what would Jesus do 
we also are looking toward the wrong mentors. Sometimes the church, sometimes someone we value. Yeah, so again, I always like to try to summarize. Uh, I don't know if I'll hit this right, but have a radical focus on Jesus in your own life. Um, secondly, try to share the message with everybody. But third, look for the fives, and, and the fives are the ones you want to focus on. So Jesus, I never see Jesus in the Gospels not have time for people. Uh, he would respond to people who came up to him with a request either for healing or for information. Maybe the only one I can think of is the guy who wanted Jesus to uh, divide the inheritance with his brother. <laughs> and Jesus said, I've got nothing for you except uh, this teaching, beware of greed. Um, so, But Jesus focused on the 12. He focused on those who were going to replace him. So, um, you know, that's that's good stuff. What's the number one mistake that you see people making? Well, we've, we've really danced all around that. I think so too. But, that topic. But what would you say? <laughs> uh, I have uh, uh, three uh, points that I make when trying to find someone. And so you can take these three points and look at the negative side and answer that question. The first point I take that I'm looking for, that I'm fishing for, is someone who is uh, is willing to deal with sin in his life. This is going to include forgiveness. This is going to include uh, uh, repentance. Uh, this is this is going to include uh, beginning to get out of sin. So if someone is willing to work on those areas, uh, he, I, he catches my eye. And usually you can see him in Bible study. The second thing I'm looking for is someone who is willing to discipline themselves. You know, the four soils. Uh, many will start the race but begin to peter out. So if someone is willing to go deep in the Word and 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 uh, not just obey as general but obey as spiritual general as well, uh, then he definitely is someone that I'm interested in meeting with. Not that I don't want to contribute to everybody else, but I don't want to do man-to-man regularly uh, with everybody when these guys are around. And the third thing I'm looking for is someone who is willing to help someone else. If you're not willing to help someone else, you're not built, you're not picking up the same cloth that Christ is. I mean, uh, so uh, once I can find whatever's the negative of these three elements would be the answer to your question. Well, Cecil, I uh, I really appreciate you, man. I, I'm glad uh, we were able to do this today. Um, I uh, I hope people get some some benefit from it. Uh, I think um, you've made a big difference in my life, and even now to to watch you continue to to walk with Christ and give your life to others, it's pretty inspirational. So uh, thanks, man. We'll do it again. Thanks, Andrew. See you next year. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.